You are now listening to an awesome sermon from the St. Louis Dream Center. Grab a pen and some paper, you're in for a treat. And it said, it says here, starting in verse 43, the next day Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, We found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote. Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. So obviously they were waiting for the Son of God to come. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked that question. Come and see, said Philip. Verse 47. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, Here is a true Israelite in whom there is nothing false. Okay, do you remember what Nathanael just said? Can anything good come out of that place? Nothing. But Jesus said of him, There is no guile in him. And Jesus and Nathanael said, How do you know me? And Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. And at that point, Nathanael's eyes are opened. The eyes of his heart were opened to realize that the Christ, the Son of God, had actually come because there was no possible way that he could have seen him beforehand. Then I have another wonderful example of Jesus looking at somebody. And that is out of Luke, the 22nd chapter, if you don't mind going there with me, if you can. Um, Luke, the 22nd chapter. And we're going to go to verse 61. So the little bit of a backstory on this is the, it's the Last Supper. It's it's just before, before Jesus is, is going to go to his death, to his crucifixion. And, um, and he's telling the guys about it. And Peter said, I'll go with you anywhere. The apostle Peter, I'll go with you anywhere you go, Lord. I'll follow you anywhere you go. I'll die for you. <laughs> and, and Jesus Jesus said to him, Peter, I just want to tell you what's going to happen. Because before the cock crows three times, you're going to have denied me three times. And Peter's like, no way. And then, it's ta- then it goes on and talks about him going into the courtyard while, while Christ is on trial. And, uh, and he's talking to the people around the campfire and he's trying to stay warm. And he gets approached. You were with that guy. You were with him. And no, he says, no. No, I don't even know him. Three times, he said, I don't even know that guy. And you can only imagine in his heart, I mean, he's freaked out, right? He's under persecution. He's not fitting in where he, you know, wants to fit in. He wants to fit in here, and he just wants to kind of be an observer. He doesn't want to actually take part in the sufferings of Christ. He doesn't want to take part in the sufferings of his fellow man. So he stands aside and stands back and denies his Lord. And right then... It says in verse 61, this just tore my heart out. 
The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word of the Lord that he'd spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And verse 62 says, and he went outside and he wept bitterly. So basically, he's torn up. He's like, oh my, you know, God, God himself, Jesus Christ, wrapped in human flesh, left deity, came to this earth to suffer and die, to take on, the, take on flesh and understand and know and suffer everything that he knew that we would suffer, every single infirmity that we feel, every rejection we felt. And Peter suddenly went and, and just wept bitterly. Now, but later on, somewhere in that book, somewhere in, in the course of history, Christ came back after he was crucified, and he met Peter. He met Peter. He not only knew that Peter was going to deny him, but he also knew that Peter had a destiny. You know, he knew that no matter what was going on here, he had called Peter. He created him. He made him. He knew Peter. And Peter screwed up royally. But Jesus remembered him back into the body. He looked at him before he ascended into heaven. He looked at Peter and he said, Peter, do you love me? He said it three times. How many times did Peter deny him? Three times. Three times the Lord looked at him to make sure that he knew his redemption was there. To make sure that he knew that he was not going to be defined by his past. His past was recorded, but he wasn't defined by it because the Lord said to him, Do you love me? Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Feed my lambs. Do you love me? Feed my lambs. Three times. And vehemently, Peter looked at him and said, Yes, Lord, I love you. Yes, Lord, I love you. Third time, Lord, you know I love you. So in his heart, Peter had a moment where he could truly pour his heart out before God. But God, you know I love you. Peter's doing there. You know what I did. You know I didn't want to do that. You know I didn't mean to do that. You know I already did it. You know I can't fix what I've already done. But you know that I love you with all of my heart. And Jesus says, you have a future. You have a destiny. You have an identity that is not based on what happened at the campfire. Your identity is based in me and on my love and on my power that you will go forward and you will do in this earth what you are called to do. Now, had Peter decided to rumble around and mull around in some self-pity and all that stupidity that some of us tend to do, then he would have never met his destiny. But he took that redemption power. He took the resurrection of Christ. He took those things into his heart and his soul. And he was raised up upon Jesus Christ. Do you see what I'm saying? So, like, we make mistakes, and we've made some of us have made mistakes that were like we considered to be more deadly than what other people have made. But I am telling you that your hope and your future are not dependent on that mistake that you've made. Your hope and your future says we are in Christ. We are in him. And this is actually just one little, little tiny part 
of my message. My message for you today actually has a title, <laughs> just miraculous. Um, and it's called Identity Crisis. Identity Crisis. Which you know when we go through an identity crisis, what, we, what do we do? We become angry, we become insecure, we blame, we do all kinds of crazy things. Come on now. I'm gonna go to Exodus. I love the Old Testament because everything in the Old Testament does what? Points to who? Jesus Christ. Amen. Okay, so we're going to go to um, Exodus 33. And I'm just going to start reading a little bit. Then the Lord said to Moses, leave this place, you and the people you brought up out of Egypt, and go to the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. I will send an angel before you. I'll drive out the Canaanites, the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. Go up to the land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go with you because you are stiff-necked people. And I might destroy you on the way. I think the Lord might have been a little ticked off right about then. When the people heard these distressing words, they began to mourn, and no one put on any ornaments, so they wore their mourning clothes. For the Lord said to Moses, Tell the Israelites, you're stiff-necked. If I were to go with you, even for a moment, I might destroy you. Now take off your ornaments, and I will decide what to do with you. So the Israelites stripped off their ornaments at Mount Horeb. Now Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp some distance away, calling it the tent of meeting. Anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. And whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people rose and stood at the entrance of their tents watching Moses until he entered his tent. And as Moses went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. And whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance to the tent, they all stood and worshipped, each at the entrance of his tent. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face. Can you imagine that? As a man speaks with his friend. Then Moses would return to the camp, but his young aide, Joshua, son of Nun, would not leave the tent. Moses said to the Lord, You have been telling me, lead these people, but you've not let me know with whom you will send me. You have said, I know you by name, and you have found favor with me. Now, if you are pleased with me, teach me your ways so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. And the Lord replied, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. And then Moses said, if your presence doesn't go with us, don't send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? And that's where I want to stop. My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. I'm going to give you just a little bit of a backstory from Exodus, the 17th chapter, um, when the people were, uh, they were leaving Israel. And the first verse of that chapter says that the Lord was leading them out of the wilderness of sin. Out of the wilderness of sin. And that was the name of the place they were actually at. But isn't that funny how that works toward us. He's leading us out and has led us out of the wilderness of sin. But he says as they were journeying, they got thirsty, they would get hungry, this would happen, that would happen, stuff would happen. Afflictions would come. 
But he was leading them with a promise. He had the promise. You're going to a land flowing with milk and honey. That's the carrot, right? You're going there. You either trust God or you don't. He says, you're going there. And the people said, they had two questions. They had two questions for for Moses. One was, why did you bring us out of Egypt for this? To be hungry and to be thirsty. And the second question is, Either God is with us or not. And now, folks, let me say this. Whenever I read scripture, it's for me first, always. And it's like, I like to find out who I am when I read. Because sometimes I'm Moses, and sometimes I'm Joshua, and sometimes I'm that people of Israel. <laughs> I'm probably more of that than other things. <laughs> and, uh, and so this is how the Lord kind of aligns me. And, and speaks to me. And, uh, and so Moses goes before the Lord because these people are so stiff-necked and irritable and murmuring and complaining about every little thing they could possibly complain about. And Moses begins to pray for them. He's constantly praying to God for the, for the Israelites. Do you realize that one of the greatest things that, that we have the most powerful, wonderful tool that we have is the power of prayer. It is through this intercession that Moses had about the people of Israel that God did not just kill them all on the spot. You know, and, and the same thing happened if you go back in the Old Testament and you look at Abraham. Abraham, remember in Sodom and Gomorrah? Remember he said, okay, Lord, if there's just 45 people here, you know, will you save the place? And the Lord's like, yeah, okay. 40? Yeah, okay. 35? Yeah, okay. 30? Yeah, okay. 25? 20? 19? 20? It's like the auctioneer. And negotiating with God, like with all of his heart. And finally, the Lord just looks at him and says, did he get down to five or something like that? And the Lord's finally like, get your family out of here. It's going down. Get your family out of here. And, uh, but he, he worked it, didn't he? <laughs> there are many times when Abraham and Moses would intercede before the Lord for the people, and the Lord would listen, and his heart would be turned around for the people because he loved his people. So it, also in this chapter 17, it gets to a point in the chapter where it talks about a battle that started happening, and it was the battle of the Amalekites. And so obviously led by uh, a man named Amalek. And Amalek was actually um, an Israelite. And scripture says that he was fighting against the Israelites. And Amalek was the grandson of Esau. So he was an Israelite. So basically the battle was coming from within his own circle. You know what I'm saying? So that's Amalek. And so and I'm, I'm looking at this and I'm saying, okay, God, what are you, you telling me here? And so as I looked up these words, and it says, it says that Amalek fought. Now, that word fought, you, would just, you just take it at face value. That Amalek fought, okay, there's a battle, right? No, that word fought is, is in a, what's called an imperfect tense, which means it, it conveys the thought of something that's happening over and over and over and over and over. The battle, over and over. And so the Israelites are are going 
from the wilderness of sin to a land that they're promised of milk and honey, but the Amalekites are battling them over and over. It's like every time they turn around, their own people are after them. And here's what, yeah, I know. And so I look at that, Tony, Pastor, as being my own mind. Sometimes, you know, that's the metaphor I'm kind of pulling on here. Um, But you can take that how you want it. Some of you have families within your own family. You know, this kind of stuff is happening over and over and over. And so Amalek is so interesting because um, um, his mode of, of operation for a battle was he would come up from behind, come up from the rear. So the Israelites are moving. He'd come up from the rear, and whoever was straggling behind or whoever was a little bit weak were the ones who would get snagged. You know, and so that's how they would start their battles. So they'd start, they'd do it, and then they'd retreat, and then they'd do it again, and then they'd retreat. Now, so you can imagine, now a lot of you have been in these situations, you know, where you've had to deal with situations over and over and over again, and you're so stinking sick of it. Well, what, at one point, you know, uh, Moses complained to the Lord, and the Lord said, lift up your staff and lift up your hands to heaven. And so so Moses lifted up his staff to heaven, and he held up both of his arms to heaven. And it says that when Moses lifted his arms to heaven, that the Israelites prevailed. He'd get tired, and he'd have to put his arms down. And when he put his arms down, that Amalek prevailed. And this went on until finally his two buddies, Joshua and Hur, I think it's Hur, yeah, Joshua and Hur came up the mountain of the Lord, Mount Horeb came up beside him this unbelievable intercession that's happening here with Moses praying to the Lord but not he knew he couldn't do it on his own you know what I mean he needed his tribe you know and so Aaron and her grab a rock it says they put a rock underneath Moses so he could sit and have a little comfort you know this is an old guy like standing on his feet for 24 hours. Come on. With his arms lifted up in the air. You try it. <laughs> Stand up there and do that for a long time. See how long it lasts. And uh, so Aaron and, and her come and held his hands up. And it says until sunset. And then Israel won the battle. So Joshua's out there fighting with the sword. And they won. Okay. Isn't that awesome? So um, so that mode uh, that mode of operation of Amalek was from the inside. So I kind of like to look at that as our minds, that battlefield. Joyce's famous, very famous book, The Battlefield of the Mind. So true, right? You all know that. That in, in your mind, you can magnify something or you can, you know, not magnify it. And so in our minds, we can magnify something to the point where we believe the wrong thing, right? And so... And the, oh, there's only one way for us to align ourselves with the right thing, to believe the right thing. What is out of Romans? It's out of the book of Romans. Who knows what I'm going to say? Who knows what I'm going to say? Anybody? Be not conformed to this world, but be you transformed by the renewing of your mind, right? By the renewing. So this is a miracle. This is a miracle that we can read the word of God and that it can say that it can transform us. So let me tell you something. And a lot of you will know this because a lot of you are maybe counselors or therapists or psychologists or not, or you've been to one. (laughs) But, you know, um, 
your mind actually ha it has a shape, right? We know that our brain has a shape and our mind has a shape. And did you know that when we partake of certain activities that the neuropathways, there's little pathways in our mind that can actually change shape? Do you all know what I'm talking about? So like pornography, it's proven that, that uh, people that watch pornography and are addicted to pornography, their brains actually become shaped differently because of the neural pathways are changing. Oh, you get that? And so that goes with any kind of um, addiction or, or vice that you know people leave. They're actually changing their minds. They're changing their minds. And so the word of God, it says that it actually shapes our mind. So no matter where we've been, as we start to do the input of the word of God, those neural pathways begin to change again. Seriously, we become shaped and molded by his word. That is a miracle. That is a miracle. Look, if you're struggling, I'm telling you, if you're struggling, and so many are, you know, put the word in there. I don't care what translation you get. It doesn't matter. To me. It doesn't have to be, you know, like super, like, high, whatever, academic or anything. Just put the word of God in you. It's from him. It was made to change us. It was made to change us. And he said when he came into our lives, he made us new creatures. New creatures. Old things are. Old things are. Okay, so I know that many, many people love to talk about um, sins of our fathers and our mothers and, and how they come on us, but my Bible says old things have passed away. <laughs> I mean, and I prefer to kind of believe that because <laughs> the sins of my father were not good. <laughs> um, no, my, my dad was a good guy. But um, so that is the miracle of the word of God. And so, um, boy, did I get off track. Anyway, all right, okay, so we'll just call it prophetic and leave it at that. <laughs> okay, so I'm going to go back to verse 33, 13. We're talking about identity and how the word of God shapes our mind and causes us to see our true identity. So verse 33, 13 says, Now, therefore, if I have found favor in your sight... Please show me your ways that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. So the word favor comes from the word ken, or C-H-E-N. I think it's pronounced ken. Ken, you have a little thing in there. And actually, the King James Version uh, says grace, which we all know what grace is. It's that unmerited favor of God in our lives. Unmerited. Did you hear that? Well, I didn't earn it. Okay, can't earn my salvation. Peter realized he couldn't earn the salvation of God, you know, and, and so many have learned in their own ways, I can't earn this. I can't be good enough. <laughs> and so that favor uh, comes from the word ken, which means graciousness, kindness, beauty, and to be precious. Precious. You, Precious. Me, precious. I know we make fun of that word a lot. Oh, precious. But, you know, that's his word, not mine. Um, and then it also comes from another word, which means to bend or to stoop in kindness to an inferior. 
to move to favor by petition, to show mercy, to have pity, to pitch a tent, to encamp, to abide, to dwell, to grow to an end. But I kind of like this stupid kindness thing because I think about my little grandbaby now, and I know how my kids were, but it's been a long time, but, and I know how little kids are. You know how much we love little kids, how cute they are? Like this morning when the band was doing worship, there was a, a little guy who was running up here, and he was dancing during rehearsal. Nobody was looking at him. He didn't care. Nobody's looking at him. He's just up here dancing, having fun, worshiping the Lord. I don't know if that was your kid or... <laughs> anyway, he was a cutie. And, uh, and I'm thinking, wow, how cool is that? Because I wanted to just go over there and get on my knees in front of him and get eyeball to eyeball and just scoop him up into my arms and just say, you're just the coolest little thing ever. And I do that with my granddaughter. She's the coolest little thing ever. And that's what that grace is. He stoops in kindness to us. You know what? You may think you're ugly. Who wants to stoop in kindness to me? Who wants to look at me? You have a bad body image of yourself? Standing around thinking you're, you know, you're not this and you're not enough and I'm not this and I'm not that. And, but you know what? Our God stoops in kindness to us. I didn't have this and I didn't get my education and I didn't, I didn't, you know, I'm not smart as everybody else. I have learning disabilities. I do this, I do that. But God stoops in loving kindness to you and me. I know I don't learn the way other people do. I know I don't learn the way other musicians do. I didn't have the training that other musicians do. I had circumstances in my life that did not allow me to get what I thought I should have. And now, honey, I'm old. Young at heart, but I'm old in in physical years. I'm an older woman. But I didn't get all the things that I thought I needed to be who I thought I wanted to be. And you know what? And I'm not who I thought I was going to be. It's better. (laughs) It's just better. (laughs) I mean, it's better. I mean, I've got this man in my life, this husband who shows me the love of Christ on a regular basis. And he looks at me. And he doesn't see what I see. He calls it the ugly mirror. He said, honey, you've been looking in the ugly mirror again. Because I'll run around for days. Oh, this is horrible. This hair is horrible. My body's horrible. My freckles are horrible. This is horrible. He'll be like, stop. <laughs> it's like he puts his, puts his hand on your head and just goes, stop. And you're going, <laughs> But he's kind to me, you know. He's kind to me. He doesn't see that stuff. He sees his love for me. And the Bible says that husbands are to love their wives the way that Christ loves the church. He laid himself down for his people. And, um, and that's what God sees when he looks at you. See, he is not looking at you. He's looking in you, and he sees Christ in you, right? If you know the Lord, he sees Christ in you, who is the hope of glory. And Christ is the epitome of perfection, when we're faithless, he's faithful. When we're hopeless, he's, he is hope. When we're unrighteous, he is our righteousness. Let me tell you what, I'm not going to try to stand on my righteousness. Because just like Nathaniel, God said he didn't have any guile in him. But Nathaniel was just dissing Nazareth. And he was just dissing Jesus. What good can come out of there? What good's coming out of that place? 
So even in that, you know, I mean, aren't we mouth off all the time? We got something to say about everything, don't we? You know, I won't tell you what they say about opinions. I learned it in the restaurant business. <laughs> it took me a while to figure it out because I had a learning disability. <laughs> Okay, so verse 14 says, and he said, this is the Lord said this, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Presence comes from the word panim, the face, it's the face, as the part that turns. So it conveys the face as the part that turns. You know what I'm talking about? I'm not talking about like the exorcist. You know the exorcist? You're not talking about that since it's Halloween. Um, I'm talking about the face as the part that turns wherever we are and wherever we go. That face that's always watching us. So who, who saw my big fat Greek wedding? Anybody? Are you kidding me? Only you guys saw my big fat big Greek wedding? It is such a funny movie. If you want to laugh, I mean, it's a laugher. But So there's this one part in the movie that cracks me up where the daughter... Um, wants to go to school to learn computers. And so she goes to her father, who is very traditional um, Greek in this movie, very traditional Greek, whatever. And um, everything comes from Greek. Every word comes from a Greek word. Windex heals every wound. Um, so that's this father. Like, he's pretty tough. And she goes to her dad, and she says, Dad, I really want to take this computer course, blah, blah, blah. And he's, no, no, you're going to raise children. You're going to do this. You're going to do that. And she, she couldn't talk her dad into this. So she went to her mom, and she said to her mom, Mom, Dad, blah, 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 blah. I need more of my life than just being in your restaurant for the rest of my life. And uh, her mom says, oh, honey. <laughs> oh, honey, that's New York. Oh, honey, you've got to remember that your father is the head, but your mother is the neck, and the neck turns the head. Whatever <laughs> it wants to go. <laughs> I couldn't help but remember that saying when I was, when I thought about this, the Lord saying his face is turning wherever we are. <laughs> and so intercession could possibly be the neck. Jesus, you know, turning. <laughs> anyway, I know that was free. <laughs> okay. So that's the presence of God. Um, and then the word go, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Go. I know I'm nitpicking, but I had to. Is the word yalak means to, to walk, to carry, to bear, to bring, to lead forth, to grow, to spread, to prosper. But my favorite thing here is it says to continually be conversant. So it means that the Lord said his presence would go with him, which means, and he would continually be conversing with him conversing the presence of god is continually turning towards us and constantly he's speaking to us he's constantly speaking you know it's up to us to tune and i got this little thing up here that tunes my guitar and it, it tunes to frequencies you know if it's off it goes the frequency until i get the string tuned it goes It's beautiful. So, so that's what we do. That's what we do with God. We don't stay in tune with Him. You know what I'm saying? How do we stay in tune with Him? What did I say? Word of God. Word of God. 
you put it in you, you put it in you, you put, him in, put it in you, and you let him do the work, then pretty soon the dissonance, you know what a dissonance is? Dissonance is two really weird chords like, no, that sounds okay. There we go, there's two. That's dissonant. That doesn't sound right, does it? So that dissonance will turn into a beautiful unison with him. And um, <clears throat> so he will go with us. He will converse with us continually. And then it says, and I will give you rest, which is from the word nuach. Rest from weariness is what that word means. Rest from weariness, the same word that's in Matthew 11.28 that says, Come all ye who labor and are heavy burdened, and I will give you rest and refreshing. So that's what the Lord says. He's, I want to give you rest. I want to give you refreshing. I want you to settle down. I want you to, I, I want to let you stay in my presence. I want to give you comfort. I want to give you the quiet that you need for your spirit. I want to give you the sleep that you need. Hallelujah. Um, because I don't, I just don't get that yet. But I want to give you the sleep and the slumber that you need. So that's what he's saying to Moses. I'm not sure how I'm doing Tony time-wise. Sorry. We're getting close, right? Two minutes? Two minutes! Two minutes to show time. Okay, so. How shall it be known if I've, I have found favor in your sight, I and your people from every other people? Is it not your going with us? That makes us distinct. What makes us distinct? KJV says separated, distinguished, to put a difference between us and others, to be set apart, to be shown to be marvelous, to make wonderful. So our destiny, our identity is what makes us distinct. Genesis 3, 1 through 5 is where Satan questioned our identity right there in the garden. Not only did he question us, Eve, I say Eve, we are from the family of man. Not only did he question her, but he questioned God to her face. God didn't say that. That's not what he meant. Luther said, my life seems to be a mere animal life in the flesh, but this is not my true life. It's but a mask of a life which lives under another, namely Christ, who is my true life. And so Jesus' identity was constantly questioned in the wilderness as well. But here's, the, here's where we're going to land. Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I now live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Our identity rests on that divine sonship, friends, and his unending, unstoppable, unchanging, unshakable love for us. It is the link that unites us to him, and it is the living proof, his love for us. Strength of his love is that he gave himself for us. Um, there's a teacher that I love, and this is a quote that uh, he says about sin. Tim Keller says, Sin is the despairing refusal to find your deepest identity in your relationship and service to God. Don't look for your identity in your goodness and in what you can do or in what you've done or where you've been. Sin is seeking to become oneself, to get an identity apart from him. Don't get your identity apart from God. What does it mean? 
Everyone gets their identity and their source of being distinct and valuable from somewhere or something. Human beings were made not only to believe in God in some general way, but to love him supremely, center their lives on him above anything else, and build their very identities on him. Anything other than that is sin. Finding your true self in Christ is definitely countercultural, and you will deal with persecution. Our God is the one who has made us. We are known by him, we are seen by him, and we cannot live our true life and destiny apart from him. The miracle of the God who sees us is that he loves us even in our sin and rebellion. And he is redeeming us from the guilt and from the shame and from the torment of a life that is lived apart from him. He is always reaching out to us and revealing his love and his life to us. And today he is reaching out to us. And Tony's going to help me with this because I really wanted to, um, I really wanted to say he's reaching out to us with this love that is so cleansing and so healing and so freeing. And even as Christians, there are times in our lives we have had seasons, many of you know what I'm talking about, where we have turned our face and our back on God, and possibly for a long time. And possibly, you know, like the Bible says, our sin was worse even than it had been before. And it's been like a crippling thing for you. You haven't been able to come back. You know, it's like you get there a little bit, and then there's just like this, eh, I'm not, I'm not quite there, you know? But even the prodigal son who knew his father and then left his, with his inheritance and spent, spent it on, on, on everything possible um, came back to his father when he realized. And his father ran to him to bring him back into the fold. And I feel this way, um, that no matter what position you are in in your life, that... I want to invite you to run to him. Run to him. Find your true identity. Leave that slop and slobber and stuff behind. Leave addictions. Leave all that stuff at the altar. Leave wrong thinking at the altar. Leave your excuses at the altar. Hope you enjoyed that message. If you live in the St. Louis area or ever plan to visit, we'd love for you to join us at one of our services at 4324 Margareta at either our 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. service. Be blessed. We hope to worship with you soon.